Welcome to your Friday. I'm Michael Rand, back here on Daily Delivery to finish out the week. Hope you guys are doing well out there today. Good show coming up, as always, but uh, particularly right now, I'm excited about what I'm bringing you today. Megan Ryan covers the Twins for the Star Tribune. will join me here in just a couple minutes here to talk about that offseason. Um, give me a little bit more depth on the Carlos Correa signing, since she is you know, she's there in the clubhouse almost every day, can give a, a better perspective on just what Carlos Correa means to this team, means to this clubhouse outside of just, you know, the numbers, the stats, why that signing was so important. I think I had a sense of it, but I think Megan Ryan did a, re- a really good job articulating that and helping flesh that out a little bit more. So hopefully you will find that appreciative as well. And she also talks through some of the other off-season to-do list and what still might be to come for this team. Got to get to the Ed Donatel firing at the end. Not surprising at all. We've talked about it plenty, so I don't need to feel like I need to get to that right away at the beginning of the show, but we'll certainly touch on that at the end of the show. First, though, what did I miss? Three games in the Twin Cities market um, last night, and Feels like they were all fairly significant. I'm going to start with the Wolves. I know that'll shock a lot of you who are regular listeners for uh, this show. I'm a, I'm a little bit of a, a little. I lean towards the Wolves, shall we say? If there's a, if there's a default, if there's a tiebreaker, but that game was really interesting. I was actually there in person, sitting in uh, sitting in the stands, not in the media, and um, just gained a new appreciation, I think, for a couple of things. I mean, it was, first of all, it was. Um, a, a terrible defensive game by the Wolves for about three plus quarters. They were down for most of the game to Toronto. Toronto, not a good team. Toronto came in 20 and 25. Toronto had 119 points with nine minutes and 45 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And then the rest of the way, the Wolves allowed just seven points. Some really tremendous on ball defense from Anthony Edwards. Some really good switching, rotating, active hands from the Wolves. They were able to get it done, pull that one out, 128-126. A couple of D'Angelo Russell free throws make the difference in the end. And D'Lo had a really good fourth quarter. Again, he was not great for three, but started to heat up in the fourth quarter. Played a smart fourth quarter with the exception of maybe a turnover with about a minute left. But otherwise, he was very solid in that fourth quarter, letting the Wolves get out of target center with the win that they probably really needed after dropping the one the night before at Denver. Tired legs, playing a team that's you know not, not one of the worst in the league, but definitely a team you've got to beat if you are going to be in playoff contention by the end of this season. So a big win for them. But the thing that I noticed the most sitting really close, I was in with my friend Anthony Downs. Um, he's got great seats, uh, pretty much center court, um, right behind the scorer's table, first row. So you, you get a little bit of a different vantage point, even from the media seats that we usually sit in. We're kind of more of an angle in the back, uh, back of the of the of the lower level um, in the media seats. You know, got to see. You know, we were more a little bit tilted towards the the Toronto bench. You see Nick Nurse just going, you know, going nuts on the officials as one and foul calls pretty much every time, especially on a late possession that he didn't get. Um, the other thing, though, that you really appreciate from that vantage point is, aside from just how fast and how quick this game is, um, slow mo. The other guy who uh, who maybe doesn't play as fast as everybody else, Kyle Anderson. I gained a new appreciation. I, I've I've loved his game for the Wolves all season long. 
When you get that close, though, you see exactly all the little things he does, just the touch he has on his passes, how he is able to affect a game. And he, this was the Kyle Anderson game. I was joking to my friends as we were sitting there, but this was the Kyle Anderson game that I kept uh, kept talking about. 20 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists for Kyle Anderson in that game. Just a, just a total all-around effort from him. Um, when things were not going well for the Wolves, which was a lot of that game, he was keeping them in it with... You know, with with everything that he does, um, again, which is a little bit of everything, he's been flirting with triple doubles um, on a nightly basis. Had one a few games ago, but um, you know, he's he's the one that kind of connects everything for them. Um, Chris Finch actually spoke to that after the game. Let's let's run a let's run a Chris Finch quote right now uh, from from post game from post game Thursday. I mean, there's not a whole lot more you can say about Kyle. I mean, he's just so spectacular for us. He's just so meaningful. Meaning, just the and the shots he was creating. In, even down, um, you know, with his decision making, whether it was his screening, his slipping, his passing, down the stretch, you know, when and that's the other thing. Like, you know, like last last night, I just didn't get the ball in his hands and late in the games, just enough, you know. So I was mad at myself for that. But tonight, um, you know, he was really good. So I mean, he's a perfect fit because um, he's just, his IQ, his ability, he's just a he's our connective tissue, you know. Like he's he's the guy who really, um, you know. Binds it all together out there a lot of times. So. No lies told there. He absolutely has been that important to the Wolves this year. He was absolutely that important to the Wolves on Thursday. Again, like I said, keeping them in it through three quarters with his scoring, with everything he does. But to keep that game from getting out of hand, to keep the Wolves in position where they could make a run in the fourth quarter, got the defensive stops they needed, like I said. Uh, but Kyle Anderson really is, like Finch says, a perfect fit for this roster, the connective tissue um, you know, selfless player doesn't need the ball, doesn't need a high usage to be effective, but uh, but is just one of those players who connects it all together. And I'm I'm curious, you know, once everybody is healthy again, and whatever that might be, it might even be it might be a while. It might be post All Star break before we see Carl Anthony Towns. Would not surprise me. But once everybody's healthy, can you find? all the minutes that Kyle Anderson deserves that he's getting right now because a lot of these guys are hurt. No Gobert last night, no Towns last night. Uh, Naz Reed was in, free, in foul trouble in the uh, in the first half of that game, only wound up playing 22 minutes. So you got a lot of Kyle Anderson in that game, 34 minutes in that game, but 8 of 9 from the field, 2 of 2 from three-point range. Like I said, he had a couple steals, a block, plus 15 in the game. Just such a good such a good player for this team, such a, such a reason that they are still hovering around 500 so just a Kyle Kyle Anderson appreciation from that game and for this entire season the Gophers on the other hand not much to appreciate from their 61-39 loss to Purdue 100 points scored total in the game and I know college basketball is only 40 minutes 100 points total scored through 36 minutes of the NBA game between the Wolves and the Raptors. Both teams were over 100. It was 109-101 Raptors, I believe, at the end of three. Just not much offense going for the Gophers. Jameson Battle held scoreless in that game, 0 of 9 from the field. He's got to get going this season if they're going to have any chance. That did not go well for him against Purdue. And again, Purdue's a really good team. They're number three in the country for a reason, but that was a step back for the Gophers. Marcus Fuller and I talked on Thursday's show about some steps that they had been taking maybe before the second half of that Illinois game the other day. That Purdue game was a big step back. Shows you how far the gap is between the Gophers and, you know, certainly the best teams in the Big Ten, but even, you know, some of the middle of the pack teams in the Big Ten. The Wild. 
Matt Dumba, a healthy scratch. That was the interesting subplot going into the game. Dean Evison benching Matt Dumba essentially for, you know, for I believe for a play that happened in the game before. We will see if he's back in the lineup. There's still some trade rumors swirling about him since he's entering um, the final stages of his contract, seeing if that's going to give them something else. I don't know. He's been a valuable player for them. I think that's someone that you would want to see in a playoff series, but I also understand the impetus of not wanting that contract to just expire for nothing. So that will be something to watch over the next few weeks. Is he going to be a consistent scratch? Is he going to be back in the lineup producing? I don't know. I do know this. They give up seven power plays against Carolina in a 5-2 loss on Thursday. You can't give up seven power plays in a game like that to a good, skilled team like Carolina. That was the story of the game more than Dumba. And again, maybe they were you know, unhappy with a couple of the calls that went against them, but that was you know that was a pretty plain, uh, outworked, outplayed game. Haven't had a lot of those from the Wild in this late in this latest stretch. Mark Andre Fleury gives up a bunch of goals, so you know it's interesting to watch them right now. I, I did did a little bit on Philippe Gustafsson the other day. He's been awfully good in net uh, down uh, you know in this last twelve games. Wondering how that goalie distribution will go in the you know in in the uh, in the going forward portion of the season, but. For right now, I think they they like their game. I think that was just kind of a clunker. But uh, the Dumba subplot, something to watch, as is the goalie subplot right now. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy to have Twins beat writer Megan Ryan on the show today. Talking Twins, it's an interesting offseason, Megan. I mean, I don't think it's going to get any more interesting than the Carlos Correa saga. I would be hard-pressed to think it would, but... I haven't talked to you since that went down, you know, a week or so ago. I haven't talked to you about um, kind of other off-season moves. So, first of all, welcome. Are you settling in after that uh, roller coaster ride of of Korea? I think so. Yeah, that was a wild couple of weeks, wasn't it? <laughs> um, for him mostly, he's the one who had to endure it. But yeah, you sign with the Giants and then just kidding, and then you sign with the Mets and then just kidding, and then. End up back where you started with the Twins. It's kind of crazy, but I'm sure that he is happy that it's all said and done. I think he is. I think everybody is, and the Twins wound up in a pretty good spot. What, I, what I'm what i curious about, and obviously you're there, you know, almost every day, or, you know, you and Phil, one of you is there every day, and a lot of times both of you are there and, and kind of were there for the one season the Twins have had so far of Carlos Correa. And when I've talked about this, you know, I've tended to focus more on the kind of the the cut and dry, like the contract, the risk of the ankle, things like that. Um, but you're there every day. What did Carlos Correa mean to this team day in and day out, whether not just production wise, but, you know, seemed like pretty quickly he became a leader in the clubhouse and someone who kind of was a, a centerpiece. And that became a reason that they wanted to keep him other than just he's a good player. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, 
a player like Carlos is rare in that he brings not just the on the field stuff. There are obviously everybody that's in MLB is a good baseball player, right? That's kind of the bare minimum. Um, but it takes something special to be a leader um, and to not only be a leader in the clubhouse, but a leader within the organization. And Carlos kind of brings all of those intangibles that are hard to find. Um, he is somebody that just kind of very quickly, it was obvious that he you know, took this seriously. And even last year when he was only going to be here for a year, hypothetically, he'll say that it was never foreseen, but I think we all knew that he likely was only going to be here for a year. Um, and that's a really easy thing to just kind of blow it off, right? You're only going to be there for a year. You don't really need to make serious connections. You just play the best baseball you can, get a good free agent contract, and then sayonara. Um, but he never really treated it like that. He like became very part intrinsic part of the team from the beginning. He was a big leader within the clubhouse. I think, you know, there's a franchise player in Byron Buxton already um, on the team. But Byron is kind of a quiet guy. He's not really a rah-rah type. Um, He's a great player, and I think he's definitely well-respected by his teammates, but he's just definitely somebody, you know, that's just going to go about his business a little bit quietly. And I think when Carlos came in, he found a great foil um, to himself because Carlos is kind of a rah-rah guy. He's a lot more of a vocal leader. He's not afraid to kind of step up in a clubhouse and say something that needs to be said. Um, And he and Byron really partnered well in that aspect, and I think you can see that just in the excitement that Byron had when Carlos came back um, is that, you know, now this is a partnership that can continue for many years um, and they can lead the team together in their own kind of different ways. Byron a little bit quieter behind the scenes and Carlos maybe a little bit more up front. Um, so I think that's great. Uh, you can see it in his mentorship of younger players. Um, he mentioned that, you know, he was only 27 when he came here and now he's 28. Um, but he says like, he kind of viewed leaving Houston as like a new part, a new start of his career because in Houston, he was obviously drafted there. He, you know, number one pick and all that. So he grew up in their system and he was looked at still as, you know, a young guy and he is still a young guy, but I think he wanted that change of scenery so that he could kind of enter the second phase of his career where it's not just about him. I think is how he said it. He really does want to mentor younger players, help them, you know, give them the advice that he didn't get when he was coming up or share the stuff that he's learned after so many years in the career. And he has been through a lot, that man. So he's got a lot of wisdom to share. Um, and so you can see that in like, you know, with Jose Miranda, I think is a special case for him. Uh, those two have developed quite a bond. I think part of it helps that they're both from Puerto Rico. But I think Carlos kind of sees a little bit of himself in Jose, sees this kind of up and coming Puerto Rican infielder who's, you know, got a good bat um, and can go all these great heights, but was only a rookie last year. And I think Carlos really has enjoyed getting to kind of touch base with them. I mean, we heard from Derek Falvey over the uh, offseason that, like, Jose and uh, Carlos talked, like, pretty much weekly, maybe daily, who's to say. But they touched base a lot. Um, And that was not something like he wasn't signed to the twins at that point. He had opted out for all we were signed with the giants or signed with the Mets for all that Jose knew, but he still took the time to like, you know, be asking Jose, like, what's your off season routine? Like break it down for me, like by the hour, like, what are you doing? Um, and I think Jose was going to go on a vacation and Carlos was like, mm, I'm not going on vacation. I don't know why you would go on vacation. <laughs> Guilt tripped him, I guess. Um, but all of that is like, you know, something that is kind of hard to find in a player. 
Um, this is a very long answer, but I'm not done yet. <laughs> I like long <laughs> answers. Keep going, please. This is an aggressively long answer. Carlos is very easy to talk about, I guess. Um, the other kind of intangible that he brings is he is somebody that's very invested in the organization beyond just the playing on the field and the clubhouse. So part of that comes in the front office. There's a big joke at his introductory press conference that he's like an assistant GM. That's like his secondary title. Um, because he's a guy that's got a lot of ideas. Um, like I remember last year when they ended up signing Jorge Lopez halfway through the season or trading and getting him. Um, he was another Puerto Rican guy, but Carlos said, yeah, I remember sitting in the dugout and like kind of being like, yeah, he'd be a great guy to have on the team. And like, kind of like, you know, getting in the front office here, like, Hey, maybe that's a guy you want to look at. Um, Cause you know, that's kind of a closer or, or end bullpen guy that we might need. And that's like, you know, very far from his position as a shortstop to be worrying about the bullpen. But like, he sees those kinds of things. Um, and I think now that he's on a long-term contract, like that's something even more that he's going to be dedicated in and trying to improve the team. And now, will they listen to him? Like, who's to say, you know, how much power he's going to have, but it's cool that he's somebody that takes an interest in that side. I think there's a lot of players that kind of hands off that and say, I don't control it. They'll figure out what to do. But Carlos really wants to make sure that like, you know, he has an opinion. He's looking out for what's best for the team and he wants to make sure that that's heard. Um, and I think that the, the front office appreciates that. Um, so that's kind of cool to see what is that impact going to be. And then I think the last thing is he's very good with like the media, obviously media, good guy, 2022. Um, he's very good with the media, but he's also very good in the community. Like he's a good face for the organization. Like kind of what I was saying with, with Byron, Byron's kind of a quieter guy and he does a lot in the community, but he's just not going to, you know, kind of be out in front and trying to do it. And Carlos is more comfortable with that. So, you know, he can be someone that can, you know, do your promos on social media or that can, you know, be that kind of face of an organization to the public, which is an important thing to do. Um, and he also is going to give back, I think, to the community in again, in like the year that he was here, which, again, you could have just kind of blown off. But he didn't like his Correa Family Foundation that he runs with his wife, Daniela. They still, um, you know, started it up here in Minnesota, even if it was just going to be for a year. They hosted pediatric cancer patients in the Champions Club, I think at least once a month. Um, they had a new family and, and kid come in and they showed them, you know, a game and Carlos came and met them and like, you know, did the whole thing. And that's easily something you could have just like taken a year off because you'd set it all up in Houston and that's where your connections were. And you could have just, you know, waited until you got somewhere long term. But they started it up here. And then now I think they're going to be here for the long term. They'll keep it going and probably even expand upon it. So there's a lot of those things that you don't necessarily get paid for, quote unquote, because it's not like you're on field at bats and all that. But if you can find a player that can do all of those things, it's kind of a goldmine to get him for a long contract because you're getting a lot out of him in a lot of different areas uh, for potentially 10 years. Well, that's a good explanation. I mean, it was, it, like you said, it was, it was long, but I, I love, I like long, I like, I'm in the long answer business. I get long-winded myself. And that definitely helped clarify some stuff for me where if you just break this down and you look at only the, only the injury risk or only the the possibility of, wow, this could really, you know, if the ankle becomes an issue, wow, are they going to be regretting this at a certain point? If you're looking at it from the Twins perspective, you're not just getting, you know, the the five wins above replacement. You're not just getting, you know, what he what he does on the field. You are getting kind of a face of the franchise type of player, and you're getting a lot of his prime years. I want to circle back on the uh, <clears throat> Correa as the assistant GM idea in a minute, but first I want to spin it around to the Twins perspective. It sounded like Derek Falvey was almost 
distraught when initially they didn't get Carlos Correa. He was maybe, you know, thought they were close, thought they were maybe going to get him. And then when they do end up getting him after the end of this process, what do you think that does for the organization in terms of just where they're, where they feel like they can go now, what their trajectory is and how they feel about themselves going into 2023 and beyond? Well, if anything, I think that it should show the twins and their front office and their fans that truly anything is possible. (laughs) Like that's the lesson to take from this. I don't think, you know, going into last year at this time, um, nobody thought that Carlos Correa was going to be a twin. And then he, you know, signed in the middle of the night and ended up here. And then everyone thought, oh, that's only for a year. And then it ended up being almost, you know, maybe 11 at the end of this, if, if his whole contract comes to fruition. So none of that was expected. And nobody expected the twins to be in play for Carlos Correa. And then here they are through a series of very bizarre and strange events. Um, so it should really show that, like, even when you're not like you think that maybe you're not like a candidate or there's all these things that may or may not be working against you, you're a small market team, you're whatever, like things happen and things can go right. And so I think that should kind of just teach people that there's, there's no, you never know like when you're out of a situation, right? So now they've got Carlos Crea, maybe slightly wizened because of the whole saga around his ankle. And if it's that injured or not, and which doctor do you believe? But Still got a really good player, um, at, certainly for another couple of years at least, even if the ankle eventually gives out halfway through the 10 years or who knows. Um, but they have a good contract with him. They've got a good player. And there's something to build around. They've got Byron Buxton, too. They've got the number one and number two pick from the 2012 draft, I believe. And so we got those top two guys at center field and shortstop with two prime positions. Like, that's that's a really good core. Um, so there are ways you can fill in. There's some other things that can be done. Um, you know, that's a matter of money. And, and if the pole eds have, have more of it to spare <laughs> than they're giving up on, on Carlos and other things. Uh, but that's, that's kind of what, I don't know. It just should show people that there's a lot of things can happen that you don't expect. Isn't life wonderful? <laughs> Life is full of surprises, right? It is. Uh, it uh, that's. I mean, that maybe that's the ultimate lesson in all of this is that life is just full of a lot of wonderful surprises. You never know exactly what's going to happen, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there's so much along the way um, happening with this. I, I want to circle back to the idea of Carlos Correa as assistant GM because there's, there's a lot still to be done this off season, and you know, some of it might have to do with. You know other moves that are made around around this move, and the big one that's still kind of floating out there is what are they going to do with Luis Arise? Now, obviously, won the batting title last season. He's a valuable player on this team. Probably gives them as good of an at bat as anybody, maybe outside of Carlos Correa or in addition to Carlos Correa, day in and day out. But he's got some physical limitations. He's got some positional limitations. He's got some value in terms of under team control, things like that. If you're Carlos Correa, assistant GM, or actual decision makers like Thad Levine and Derek Falvey, what what do you think is the thought process with someone like Luis Arise? Yeah, it's hard because I think that there's different viewpoints on it, right? Um, part of it is if you're going to trade someone like that, now's a good time to trade him because his stock has probably never been higher after winning a batting title kind of out of nowhere. Um, you know, he's a unique player. He's a very unique player in a couple of ways. One is that 
he's a big bat, but he does it in a very subtle way. Like he doesn't do it by hitting 60 home runs or, you know, like breaking records like Aaron Judge. He does it with, you know, hitting these kind of bloopers and singles all over the place. And you need a player like that on a lineup. Um, but it's kind of someone that you're like, you know, it's he's not a not a like a huge like heavy hitter, but he definitely like he gets on base, he gets those hits, which is really important. And I think that would be fine if you were someone who like had a position, but he's kind of like a, a roamer. That's the other weird thing about him is that he's was a utility guy and he tried it out in left field and then he tried it out in kind of third base and then he's kind of ended up at first a little bit. And so last year through kind of a series of very strange events, he was kind of in third and then they kind of liked him better at first. And then he kind of traded off first base with Jose Miranda and then sometimes hit DH, but it was a tough year, right? Because they had Byron who was injured for most of the year who kind of needed that DH spot. And so it kind of depends this year. Like if he does, if they don't trade him and they say he's on the team, he kind of has to find a position. Now, first base could be that position for him. And maybe they put Jose Miranda at third and then Kyle Farmer is just around. I'm not exactly sure where he's going to slot in and all of this. Um, so, it, you know, it's possible, but I think his, his defense needs to get a little better because that's a kind of an important position to kind of have someone who's kind of like, you know, not really a true first baseman or not really well versed in it. Um, and I think Lasker did a lot to teach him at that position. I think it also might have hurt his hammy a bit because that was his injury at the end of the year. And he was kind of telling us that it had been hurting because he stretches more at first base, you know, than he ever had before. You got to keep your foot on that bag while you try to catch the ball. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and it, it, it kind of wore in his hammy after a while. So now is that going to be better this off season? Has he kind of gotten it stronger now that he knows maybe I'm going to play more at that area? All of that is who's to say, but he's just kind of an interesting guy because he's, He's a very talented bat, and I think any team would want that. But the fact that he doesn't have a position is just kind of a tough place to, to kind of, you know, other teams are going to see the same thing when they try to trade for him or ask, you know, or even whenever he hits free agency. Like, it's going to be the same question of, like, you're a great bat. We want you in the lineup. Where do we put you? Um, so that's the only tough thing with him, but definitely a great player. Well, teams like that positional versatility to a certain degree, but to your point, you need to be – you know, adequate at least at all of those positions that you're playing, or at least, you know, serviceable. And I don't think Luis Arise was, you know, he's not a terrible defensive player, but to your point, he's not great at any one of those places. Maybe first base is his best position, but that's also a place where you can put a lot of people at, at various points. And that, that tends to be kind of where you, where you put a guy like maybe Alex Kirilov. Like they've got a lot of guys who are either third base, first base or outfield. And then kind of how that sorts it out, how that sorts together is is pretty interesting. Um, a couple other things for you, Megan, before I let you go. Um, just the offseason has been so interesting with the Korea pursuit. It feels like there's other moves yet to be made, though, whether it's pitching. just feels like starting pitching could be d- addressed still. The bullpen still could be addressed. Sounds like probably a trade is, is the more likely route than, than free agency at this point. If you're the Twins or, you just, or if you're just you monitoring the Twins, what do you think is next for this team? I think it's hard to say, you know, it's, I hesitate to be like, oh, they're done because things always happen and come out of the woodwork and you didn't really expect it. That certainly happened, you know, last year during spring training at the end of the lockout, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening. So I don't, I wouldn't say that like, there's no more moves on the rise. I think I could foresee a couple of trades. 
Um, but it's it's hard because I remember at the big, like at the very beginning of the off season, at kind of like post mortem of the season we had with Derek Falvey, somebody asked point blank like, "Do you need more starting pitching?" And he kind of like said like, "No, I, I think we're kind of good in that area." Now, could he just have been saying that just to you know support his pitchers? And it was early in off season, maybe. But like he had kind of said, if we if everyone stays healthy, which is always the big question, um, you know, they've got Sunny Gray who could be an ace, Kenta Maeda who also could be an ace, Joe Ryan possibly an ace in the making. Who's to say? Um, Tyler Molly that we didn't get to see a lot of last year after his trade with his injury, but someone I think they believe in. Um, and then you kind of got a Bailey over Josh Winder, you know, situation in that last spot. Um, so could they use more starting pitching? Sure. They could use pitching all around. I think every team could, you never can have enough, especially when you're the twins. Um, but I don't think it would be the worst thing if they went into this year with that being the rotation, as long as everyone is healthy. And as long as, you know, Kenta came back from Tommy John okay, which is, I guess is a little bit of a question mark at his age, even though it's been done before. Um, so I, I don't know. If they were going to do some trades, I think like the most likely candidates are like your Luis Arise, your Max Keplers in right field. Like those are the guys that are probably looking at it. Um, Luis, because he's kind of, again, like his stock's never been higher. Max, because he's a very good right fielder. But his bat's been a little, ever since he, 2019, he had a good year and then it kind of has never really come back. Um, so I don't know, like, I'm not, I'm not sure if his tenure is, is coming up on the team or not, but those would be the options if I were thinking. Yeah, that makes sense. And we'll know, we'll know at some point, we'll know for sure if people mysteriously disappear from Twins Caravan or, uh, or Twins Fest <laughs> rosters all of a sudden, but uh, it probably won't happen that way, but I did want to mention this maybe the last thing. I mean, that's next weekend. All of a sudden, it feels like it's happening fast, not like the off season is over. But when that happens and you're kind of at the end of January with those things, you start to think about ah, spring training's not that far off. Maybe a month from then, you got spring training, things like that. I mean, the off season is is long, but it's short at the same time. Yeah, it goes fast, you know, because you you think like oh, when the season ends, especially for them and like very early October was their last game and then no, no playoffs. Um, and little things happen, you know, like they've got the, the free agency starts and all that. And so there's little things that happen, but yeah, once twins fest hits, um, I think pitchers and catchers report to spring training, February 15th, just coming up. It's like less than a month away. And then like the rest of the players come like a couple days after that. So it's starting. Um, yeah. So the season is, is drawing near. So everyone just buckle up. We'll see. Hopefully it's a good season. <laughs> I think I mean, I'm I'm curious about it. I don't know how it's going to go. I think the way the year ended last year after, you know, that that good start, so much so much is dependent on health. So much I think is dependent. I think Kenta Maeda who you addressed is a big kind of key to this year because when he was good in, you know, 2020, that was a big deal for them and when he, you know, was was regressing because of injury, that was a big problem for them in 2021. That was one of the things that really turned that season south. If he's back to anything close to what he was, you know, pre-injury, that's a big deal for them because that take, that that gives them one more known commodity in the rotation with, you know, with, obviously with a Sonny Gray, with a guy like Joe Ryan who's trying to build on his rookie year. Then you're starting to talk about, okay, he's some established guys, Tyler Malley, if he's, if he's healthy, like you said. That's a pretty good rotation, but there's still plenty of ifs there. If, if, if a lot of those guys pan out and are healthy, this could be a pretty good rotation. And if it's a pretty good rotation and the lineup you like, uh, then all of a sudden you're talking about maybe some potential for this season. But like you said, 
we will see, and we'll see faster than we think. You're right. Pitchers and catchers less than a month away. It's crazy, Megan. It's crazy time, but it always is good talking to you. Um, I hope you uh, stay warm the next few weeks and stay even warmer when you uh, are able to head down to Florida. (laughs) I will try to somehow. Good stuff for Megan, as always. I'm starting to talk myself into a little bit more Twins optimism than I had than I had a month ago. I'm, I, like I said to her, I think Kenta Maeda is a key to this season, and maybe that's a dangerous key since he's coming off major surgery, and uh, you know he's, he's on the wrong side of 30, as they like to say. Some of us are on the wrong side of 40, as they like to say, but we're not trying to play professional sports. So we'll see how he is uh, is is feeling is is looking if he's close to what he looked like in 2020 they could have a chance to have a pretty good rotation and that would be a big piece of the puzzle for them let's finish with the cooler like i said at the beginning ed donatel no surprise that he was let go by the vikings after just one season i wonder if we're going to get a new a new case of musical coordinators mike zimmer got rid of a lot of offensive coordinators over the years and now kevin o'connell the offensive-minded head coach getting rid of his defensive coordinator after just one season but Entirely justified. Um, not a surprise at all. I'm, I'm not surprised at the timing either. It comes a day after season-ending news conference. If it had been Donatel fired during that portion of the of the of the affairs, we would have had nothing but Donatel questions in that portion. I'm sure this decision was made a long time ago, and they probably knew even Wednesday when they were talking about this. But that's neither here nor there. That's not dishonesty. That's just how how things go. You don't want that to dominate discussion. A statement from O'Connell on Thursday. Today I informed Ed Donatel we will be going in a different direction at defensive coordinator in 2023. While this was a difficult decision because of the tremendous respect I have for Ed as a person and a coach, I believe it is the right move for the future of our football team and statement. So I think that's true. I mean, I, no lies told. Again, like I said about uh, uh, earlier in the show about Chris Finch, I, I feel like Donatel's defense at the end of the day did not have a lot of talent, right? I think the Vikings are are getting older and slower on defense, a lot of holdovers. They used to have playmakers at every level of the defense that you could point to and say these guys are impacting the game in a, in a game-wrecking kind of way. And I just didn't feel like they really had that necessarily at any level of the defense this season because some of those playmakers are just flat-out getting older, guys like Daniil Hunter, guys like Eric Kendricks, guys like Harrison Smith. So that part of it, Ed Donatel can't control. What Ed Donatel can control is the scheme, the calls, and those were off all season long. It comes down to this, and I felt this way probably since week two against Philadelphia. The Vikings were not hard to play against. Kevin O'Connell talks about his offense, wanting his offense to be hard to play against. I feel like that was the antithesis of the Ed Donatel defense. They were not hard to play against. They were very easy to play against at the time, very predictable to play against, and that is not the marker of a, of a probably of a coordinator that that O'Connell wants to have around, and that's not the marker of a of a coordinator who's going to give you a good chance to win, especially on the brightest stage like the playoffs where we saw the Vikings struggle yet again on defense when they gave up over 400 yards and 31 points with that quick exit. So we'll see what a new coordinator is able to do, probably with a lot of new pieces. Ben Gessling writing about that in today's Star Tribune. This could be just the first of many changes on defense. We'll see about that. What we know for sure right now is that Ed Donatel, to nobody's surprise, anybody with eyes could see it coming, he is out as defensive coordinator. And that will do it for me for this week. Hope you guys enjoyed everything we brought your way. We'll be back at it again Monday with Patrick Royce. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about then. Until then, enjoy your weekend. I'm Michael Rand, and we'll see you then. (music) 